Morning, guys. How are we doing? That was powerful. Thank you, uh, worship team. That was fantastic. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter seven, uh, 9, chapter 9 of Isaiah. If you've got your Bible, you can open up or a Bible app, get there. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, I'm going to invite the ushers to come, take our morning tithes and offerings today. And again, it's time for you to put that connection card or prayer request in there as well if you'd like to. If you don't have it done, like Jim mentioned, there's boxes along the wall. But uh, while that's happening, let me mention just a couple of things. I want to highlight something that Jim said next Sunday. Uh, both the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock service, we're having our First Steps Raise the Life class, and it's uh, preparing you. One hour class, a little less than that, during the service, in the coffee chapel, in the off lobby too, uh, to prepare you for water baptism service on November, excuse me, November, January 1st, very first uh, Sunday in the new year. By the way, that's our 14th anniversary as well, which is kind of cool. So we'll be celebrating that. We thought, what a great way to open the new year. And uh, what a great way for you to experience uh, the new life, the new things that God has for you. So I want to encourage you. Like Jim said, some of you, uh, you're new to the faith. God's doing something. Man, the last two weeks, we've had 19, 20 people pick up New Believers packets. So we're excited about that. And we don't, you know, single you out. We don't embarrass people here when they become Christ followers uh, and initially make that step into faith. But this water baptism is a big deal. And here's why. Two reasons. Number one, it's because Jesus said it's a big deal. He said do it. It's an act of obedience. We don't, you don't have to pray about it, you just obey. Jesus modeled it, he got baptized, we get baptized. And the second reason why it's a big deal is because it's really your opportunity to publicly declare, yes, I belong to Jesus, I'm all in, I'm his. And so we bring a tank out, we heat it up during our worship service, uh, folks will be getting baptized, and I will encourage you, strongly encourage you uh, to get baptized in water. And if you're here, that, that, uh, it's gonna be fun. 11 o'clock on January 1st is gonna be amazing. If um, if time to time, people say, well, I got baptized as an infant. My parents sprinkled me or, or poured water on me. And, and I, we honor what your parents did for you. Uh, they did it because they love you and care about you and care about God. But the Bible says repent and be baptized. It's a, really an act of obedience that you make as an adult uh, to say, yes, I'm going to follow him. So I want to challenge you to pray about that, do that. You can sign up again online at eastpointchurch.com or use the tear-off tab and, uh, or just get, let us know. We'll get you signed up for that. Starting a brand new series today called Christmas, uh, Through the Eyes of Christmas. And uh, each week, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the Christmas story from a different perspective, or through a different set of eyes, if you will. And there's lots of different views that we can look at. Next week, we'll talk about Christmas through the eyes of Mary, through the eyes of trust. But today, we're going to land on Isaiah. Uh, many years ago, a long time ago, in fact, I was in my 20s, uh, I had a friend, and he was uh, actually born blind. And we ended up uh, having this conversation. He's very bright, very kind, incredibly funny guy, but never saw anything, blind from the point of birth, so all of his life. And we were talking about Christmas, it came up. And it dawned on me in this conversation, duh, that he'd never experienced Christmas exactly the way I had. For me, a, a lot of Christmas was about the lights and the stockings and the trimmings and all the stuff that I could see, and probably too much of that was for me, what Christmas was all about. He'd never seen any of that, never seen a decorated lit tree in his life. So we start talking about, well, what's Christmas to you? What does it mean to you? And it was really cool. He said some amazing things, but one of the things that I'll never forget is that he said, you know, for me, uh, Christmas is the joy of children's laughter. The laughter of kids just always blesses me. I thought, wow, that's, that's a perspective that's different than I, I've had about Christmas. Today, we're gonna take a look at the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and we're gonna take a look at a passage and see a perspective of Christmas, yes, Christmas, that Isaiah had uh, 700 years before the birth of Christ. 
the book of Isaiah was held in such high regard by the first century Christians that it was actually considered the fifth gospel by many of them. I don't know if you've heard that before, but many of the early converts to, to Christianity were, uh, had been raised as Jews. They'd been raised on books like Isaiah. And over and over throughout the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the Messiah, talks about Christ, the coming, the, the coming king. And when uh, they became Christ followers and knew that Jesus was the one that Isaiah prophesied about, and they realized how many times throughout the book of Isaiah that he talked about the Messiah and how many pro- prophecies that Jesus actually fulfilled. It was one of their most highly esteemed Old Testament books. And they, again, considered the fifth gospel. In this amazing book, the prophet Isaiah describes much about uh, the coming Messiah. He says that he will come and be born of, his vir- uh, of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. He talks about his suffering, the suffering that Jesus, the Messiah, would go through. And that's in Isaiah chapters 50 and 52. He talks about the fact that his blood would be shed for our sins. I find that amazing. And that's in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, he says that the Messiah would heal the brokenhearted. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus healed people, healed their hearts and healed their bodies. And he, Isaiah talks about that in one of my favorite chapters in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. And then in today's text, he describes how he would come as all man, all human, but all God as well, God in the flesh, and that's Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah wasn't sure of all the specifics, but he knew that someone world-changing was coming, and he prophesied about Jesus, the Messiah, decades, centuries before Jesus showed up on planet Earth. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter four, four said this, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. Now, you might think, well, of course he was born of a woman. The point is that God sent his son. He was all God and all man. But Paul said that at the right time, when the right time had fully come, at just the right time, God sent his son to a people who needed to see a Messiah, needed the promise of the Messiah fulfilled. And God sent his one and only son to be that promise fulfilled for us. What I need you to see, and this is what's cool, over 700 years before it happened, the prophet Isaiah He saw the power and the love of God who had an incredible plan for all humanity. He saw it through his prophet seer's eyes. He saw what God was going to do. So let's pick it up in Isaiah chapter nine. uh, We'll start with verse two. I'm gonna just give you a couple verses we'll highlight here. But verse two of Isaiah nine. says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Let me just hit the pause button for a minute and tell you that that's really is about the majority of us. It's about the Gentiles. Uh, and if you happen to be Jewish, then this, this verse still applies to you, but in a different way. When Isaiah wrote the people walking in darkness, he's referring to us, the Gentiles, who were far from God, far from his plan. But they've seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has done. We'll unpack that in just a moment. Verse six, skip down to verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah says a son will be given. And it's a reference actually to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where he refers to that son as Emmanuel, God with us. And it's cool. There's a lot I could talk about here. But when he calls him everlasting father, that could also be translated author of eternity. So basically Isaiah is saying this, is, this, this one is going to be born of a woman. He will be all human, but all God. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Verse 7. Of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from, the time, from that time on and forever. 
and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Some of you recognize some of this passage from Charlie Brown. You remember it's what Lionel reads, I think. It's a piece of it. Maybe you recognize it from Handel's Messiah. I was reading this week about it. I didn't know this actually until this last week as I was preparing that George Friedrich Handel actually wrote this and it was first performed on Easter. Uh, since then, obviously, it's become a, a Christmas tradition. But more important than the history of this music is the pr prophetic declaration of what the Messiah would do. And it says in verse six that he would be our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, I don't wanna be disrespectful here. I don't wanna sound um, cocky or brash or by any means to throw anything but glory and, and light on this passage. But you can read this and Michael, well, so what? All right, Isaiah had a prophecy, and it was centuries before Jesus, and he said he would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What does that mean to me? Well, let me explain to you why it's a, a big deal. In fact, it's the big idea in your outline today. Christmas reminds us that we can put our hope in God who is faithful to his word and his promises. What's the big deal about a prophecy given hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, nearly 3,000 years ago? Why does that matter to you and me today? Well, because Christmas, this prophecy, this truth of what Jesus would do, who he would be, what he would accomplish, reminds us that we can put our hope, today's message is all about hope, that we can put our hope in God who is faithful to his word and to his promises. 700 years before Jesus was born in a stable, 700 years before the wise men visited the baby king, 700 years before Jesus came to be the light of the world, God made a promise through Isaiah and he fulfilled that promise. He made a promise that the Messiah would come and he came. And by the way, every prophetic promise of Jesus about the Messiah in Isaiah is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled in him, every one of them. And that's why I say that Christmas reminds us that we can put our hope in God and his word and his promises. Some of you are here today and you've been wrestling with hope. You feel hopeless Maybe you're hopeless about a situation, or hopeless about a, a kid or a parent, hopeless about your own life, hopeless about a spouse. I want you to know that when God speaks, God gives us his word, and we can bank on it, we can count on it. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 33, verse four, the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. God's word is right and true, and he's faithful in everything that he does. Isaiah, later in this very book, Isaiah chapter 40, verse eight, Isaiah said, the grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord, our God, endures forever. God's word, God, what God says, endures forever. We can count on it. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed. Love this. Let us hold firmly, hang on, to the hope that we have confessed. Why? Because we can trust God to do what he has promised. Why can we have hope? Why do we hang on to hope? because we can trust God to do what he said he would do. The writer says, hold on to hope, because we can trust in God to do what he has promised. And that's the story of Isaiah. That's the prophecies. That's the reminder of us that God did exactly what he said he would do. Old friend of mine emailed me some time ago, and then we had some conversations after that. Um, it was about her son. And her son had grown up in church. Her son had, had once upon a time professed to be a Christ follower. But when she first emailed me, she said, pray for my son. He's gone off the deep end. He won't have anything to do with me. He's wandered far from God, and he's in all sorts of trouble. But she told me that during the worst of it, uh, 
she was in tears, as you can relate. If you're a mom or a dad with a wandering child, or if you've been that child, which I was, uh, she said during the worst, she was just crying. She was crying out to God, God, what, what am I gonna do? God, please give me hope for my son. Please give me something to hang on to. And she said the Lord spoke to her, and that was an audible voice, but the Lord spoke to her heart. And here's what God said. He said, I've got this. Bruce has chosen a tough path, a hard way, but there's nowhere he can go to get away from me or my love for him. That promise to God, when God looked, said to her, look, I've got this, it's gonna be okay, and, and yes, Bruce has chosen a path that's gonna be really hard for him, but there's nowhere he can go to get away from me and my love. That was the promise she needed to hang on to. She instantly thought of something that David wrote in Psalm 139, by the way. She's a woman who read the word. We encourage you to read the word all the time because you'll never know when a moment like that will come and God will just bring something to your heart, your memory. But she instantly thought of David's psalm in Psalm 139 where it says in verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your pet presence? And in verse 11 of Psalm 139, if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, but even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. She instantly thought of that passage of David where David says there's nowhere I can go to get away from you. For quite a while, for several years, she watched her, her son make one foolish choice after another. But she never gave up hope. She never gave up on him because she believed the promise God gave her. I've got this and there's no way, nowhere he can go to get away from me. We've got to hold on to hope, guys. We've got to hold on to God's promises, God's promises to us. When I was a little boy, we grew up, uh, I grew up in a Christian home and we had on our kitchen table this little bread box, plastic, dorky, really cheesy looking bread box that had these cards with promises on them. Anybody remember those? Some of the old people. There was a, a promise bread box thing and it was like size of a fortune cookie, pull this out and here's your promise for the day, you know. And, and, and I, I remember that many times. The, the, the thing I learned through that experience is that the Bible's full of promises. There are hundreds of promises in the word of God to us. But I'm gonna land on a few today. Three that I want to uh, encourage you to leave here with that will help you and restore hope in your life. Three promises of God you can depend on. Here's the first one, number one. God's light can overcome whatever darkness you're in. It's a promise. God's light can overcome whatever darkness you may be in. One of the things I love about the Christmas season, the Christmas lights. I love lights on trees, I love lights on the houses, I love uh, candles in windows, so I don't think real candles are a good idea, but I mean, I, I love the, the lights of Christmas. And I'm not sure how much you've thought about this, but you know that the lights are not just decorative, they're symbolic, right? It's not just, a, well, it's time to put the lights up. It's go out and freezing cold and hang a string of lights so we can you know, compete with the neighbors. That's not it at all. The lights are not just decorative, they really are symbolic, and they're symbolic of light coming into the world. You see, you know this, this world is a dark place. Read the news, turn on the news, watch you know, the, the, the neighborhood, the world we live in. This, this world is, is not filled with light, it's filled with darkness. Let's just talk about a few things, wars for example. In 3,400 years of recorded human history, do you know there's only been like 268 years, less than 8% of the time in recorded history where there hasn't been a war on planet Earth? And most of the time, lots of wars. I went and saw Hacksaw Ridge on Friday with my wife. The fact that my wife would go to that movie with me makes her an amazing woman. Uh, but it's, I mean, she said, I only saw about half of it because when they started, anyhow, it, it was moving. It, the sacrifice was powerful and moving. 
But it, I, I did a little research and I found out, do you know that in the 20th century, so last century, 20th century, over 108 million people died in war? 108 million people in one century. Darkness has prevailed in many places throughout our world. And then, of course, there's terrorism, mass murders, sex trafficking, criminal activity everywhere. Uh, James, our worship pastor, had his truck par parked out on the loading dock in the middle of the day on Monday. Somebody broke his window and stole a bunch of tools. And I, this, it, it, this is a church. And I, my first reaction was, there ought to be a special place in hell for people who do this to church people. <laughs> that was my non-grace, non-mercy response. And then I thought, you know what, I, I literally said, okay, I'm just gonna pray for that. I don't know who that guy is. I don't know, guy or gal, another story. But I prayed, Lord, wouldn't it be cool someday that, guy, that person gets saved and ends up here, ends up telling, yeah, I, one day I broke in and, and stole some stuff from a church, this church, and, and I don't know, I, I, and now I find out it was that guy, and here I am loving Jesus. That's what I'm praying for. But guys, we live in a broken world, a world filled with darkness all around us. And if it's not bad enough that there's darkness in our culture, then there's darkness in our hearts. Bitterness, hatred, bigotry, pornography, jealousy, divisiveness, I could go on and on and on. The bad news is there's plenty of darkness everywhere and at least a little bit in everyone. And that's not pessimism, that's realism. But Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, look at it again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah spoke of a great light and of one who would bring light into our darkness. And by the way, his name is Jesus. He came. In fact, many centuries later, Jesus declared this about himself in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I need you to understand something. Jesus grew up as a really good Jewish boy. He, he studied the scriptures. He, he, he knew the Old Testament. And he absolutely knew this passage in Isaiah. No question about it. And when he makes this statement about himself, the reason why it was such an offense to the Pharisees and so difficult for some to swallow is because what Jesus is saying in John 8 is, you know that light that Isaiah prophesied about? I'm it. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said, I'm here. I'm the light. I've come. I'm fulfillment of that prophecy. You know, we humans tend to think that we can bring an end to darkness through our intellect, through our innovation, through our information, through technology. We think we can destroy darkness in the hearts of men and in our, in our world and our culture. We think we have the answers to overcoming injustice and violence and evil. If we just get smart enough, if we just work harder, if we just try more, if we just learn to play nice, then everything will be peachy keen fine. Let me ask you, in your life, how's that working out? Have you noticed what we just went through in our country the last year? What, is, are we really closer to peace on earth? Is this really... Are we getting better? The answer would be definitely not. We need the light of the world. We need to embrace his path, his word, his ways. We need to humble ourselves and admit our need and choose to walk in the light rather than in darkness because the light is here. By the way, Jesus said, I'm the light, and he also said, you're light of the world. His light lives in you as well. We need to humble ourselves. Walk in the light. John wrote this in 1 John 1, 6 and 7. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another. I love that word fellowship, partnership, connection, meaningful cooperation with one another, fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's as we walk in him, as we live in him, as we are cleansed by him and his light. We have the promise of God's presence and power. We have the promise that his light can overcome any darkness in our lives, any darkness you're stuck in. God is bigger than that. And it can purify, the light of Jesus can purify you and change you. How? It happens as we walk in the light, even as he is in the light. Darkness is not gonna defeat him. No darkness around you is bigger than the God that we love and worship. Well, here's the second thing, his second promise, number two. What God has started in you, he will finish. I love this one. But God has started in you, he will finish. God never gives up on you. From the very first moment you said yes to him, whether it was last week or 30 years ago, the minute you surrendered your life to him as your savior, the minute you embraced that gift of mercy and salvation, that, that forgiveness that he offers to you, the penalty he paid on the cross, and the minute you said, yes, God, what you did for me, I need that, I want that. That instant you did that, the power of darkness was broken in your life. The Bible says that you you went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now let me explain. That doesn't mean that you'll never struggle or fail again. That doesn't mean you'll never have to face shadows of darkness in you, in others, in your life. I've said it many, many times. As long as we're on this side of eternity and in these earth suits, these bodies, then the battle still rages. The battle still rages on planet Earth. That's why we've got to learn to walk in the light, to live in the light, to dwell in the light, to abide in him. That's why the Bible talks about this over and over again. But again, your hope and my hope is always in a God who invades our darkness with his light. And he's absolutely, listen, he's absolutely committed to shaping and molding you into the image of his son. What God is starting you, he's gonna finish. Remember in verse six, Isaiah called the Messiah, called Jesus, the wonderful counselor and mighty God. Counselor, meaning one who would guide us, lead us, help us, correct us. If you've ever been to counseling, and I have, counselors are pretty good at listening and they go, uh, have you thought about how that needs to change? That thought, that belief, that's not truth. That's not the way it is. They guide us, they help correct us. And Jesus said, that's what, he, the, Isaiah said, that's what Jesus would be, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. And Jesus himself spoke of the Holy Spirit Part of the Godhead as our advocate. John 14, 26, Jesus said, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit, when we become Christ followers, lives in us. And his role, his, his purpose is to guide us, to mold us, to shape us, to, uh, to be a counselor, a corrector, a changer, a molder in our lives. The word advocate here that Jesus uses could be translated as comforter, helper, sustainer, strengthener, or counselor. And the point is, Jesus knew that we would need help. How many of you need help once in a while? Jesus knew that we would need help. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, helping us, correcting us, counseling us. And it's a promise you have if you are his child. The Holy Spirit lives in you, working, changing, molding, shaping you, and he's never gonna stop. Paul was very confident of the work of God. He said this in Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Paul said, I am confident of this, not in my ability, not in your ability, not in our intellect, not in our smarts, not in our power. I am confident of this, that God 
who began a good work in you will bring it to maturity, will bring it to completion. He's gonna finish what he started. Listen, God is never gonna stop mid-design with you, ever. God's never going to give up on you or me, ever. In fact, the next bullet in your outline says this, no matter what you've done, listen to me, no matter what you've done today, last week, last year, 30 years ago, no matter what you've done, God will always redeem, restore, and renew any life surrendered to him. That's what he does. Our part is to walk in the light. We surrender our lives. We go, oh God, here I am. And no matter what you've done, God's specialty is to redeem, restore, and renew. I'll put it this way. You're never too messed up for him. You're never hopeless or lost cause to him. Never. I've got a buddy. I call him Hank. It's not his real name. But Hank has wrestled with depression, uh, wrestled with depression for over a year. In fact, more than one occasion, he said he was actually suicidal. And according to him, as we talked and chatted about it, his depression was due to his repeated failure with pornography, a far too common problem in our culture today. And Hank was about to give up. Literally, he said, he, he said I'm, I'm, I'm walking away from God. I'm walking away from the church. I'm walking away from my faith. It's just not worth it. I'm a screw up. I can't get over this. I'm, I'm never gonna change. It's never gonna get any better. And he literally was at a point of making a conscious, scary place, a conscious decision to go, I'm out of here. I'm done. But in that moment, in those, those uh, days where he was contemplating that, God sent a friend to him and a friend told him, listen, God's never gonna give up on you. Don't you dare give up on him. He's telling the story. He said, God, he got my face. He said, God's never gonna give up on you. Don't you dare give up on him. And it's when he realized that God was committed to his growth, that God was never gonna walk away from him. How could he walk away from the Lord? Hank still wrestles. He still struggles with the reality of this temptation and occasional failure. But you know how he's surviving today? He would tell you. Because he knows that God is gonna finish in him what he started. That God is committed to his growth and change. You can have hope in a God who does exactly what he promises to do. Listen, you can have hope in a God who promises to get you where you need to be, to finish what he has started in you. What he starts, he finishes. And that's a promise from him. One last promise, and I'll be pretty brief with this one. Number three, God has made a plan for your life that far exceeds your dreams and expectations. I could talk about this all day long. One of my favorite things to remind you of is that God has a plan for you. A plan for your life that far, I mean way beyond your ability to even conceive of it all, far exceeds your dreams and your expectations. See, not only does God promise to overcome darkness in your life and to, it promises to finish what he started in you, but he wants you to know that he has a plan for your life that's unique and special to you. He wants you to know the hope of becoming the person he wants you to become and of doing what he has destined you to do. The reason why this is so important, why this is such a big deal, is that when you understand that God has something wonderful and amazing and unique and special and incredible for you, then that inspires and invigorates you to pursue him, to, to hang on to hope. Look again at Isaiah 9, verse 7. Isaiah said, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. David is, again, uh, excuse me, Isaiah is again prophesying of, of, of the Messiah and that he would reign over David's throne, it would be forever. And by the way, when it says the greatness of his government, that refers to the kingdom of God. And I've taught on this before, let me just briefly remind you. 
that when the Bible, the New Testament, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near, he wasn't talking about a castle. He wasn't talking about a place, you know, a spot on planet Earth. There, there's the kingdom of God. It's in Maui, of course. That's not, that's not what Jesus was talking about. His point was the rule and reign. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, it's near, he's saying the rule and reign of God has now invaded darkness, has now come. I'm here. The kingdom, the rule and reign of God is present. It's at hand. And Jesus here demonstrated that for us, again, in his power over sickness and disease and to heal the blind and do all sorts of things. But I, what I want you to notice here is that from Isaiah chapter nine, we see that God had a plan for Jesus to establish his kingdom and that it would rule forever. And be in the, uh, he would sit on the throne of David. And from the very, before Jesus even showed up, there was this plan that God had for Jesus on planet Earth. God had a plan for Jesus. He has a plan for you and for your life. He has a plan for you. That's the way he works, that's what he does. And when you realize the amazing and, and frankly the stupid cool things God wants to do in and through you, again, it will change the way you live. It'll change the way you look at your life. It'll change the way you look at even the struggles in your life. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, if you realize that God has a plan, if you remember God has a purpose and a plan uniquely for you to accomplish, to do, to become, Something amazing and wonderful. If you get that, it's gonna, you'll wake up tomorrow morning with more hope than you woke up with today. It'll change the way you look at the things that happen around you. It'll even change the, the way you perceive the difficulties. Instead of just being, oh my goodness, oh, it's overwhelming stuff and it's so bad, I can't believe my life sucks, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. Instead of getting sucked down into the drain of despair, you'll say, you know what, life is hard, but I know God's got a plan for me. I know he's got a purpose for me. I know he's got a destiny for, for me to fulfill and nothing is gonna change that. That's a promise from God. Quoting Isaiah 64, verse four. Yes, another passage from Isaiah. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, verse nine. He said, as the scriptures say, as Isaiah says in 64, verse four, no eye has ever seen and no ear has ever heard and has never occurred to the human heart all the things God prepared for those who love him. That's a quote from Isaiah 64. And Paul is reminding the church in Corinth, and I'm reminding the church in Spokane Valley today. I'm reminding you, no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, has never even occurred to the human heart. You can't even begin to imagine all the things God has prepared for those who love him. He's got a great plan for your life. If you've heard anything I've said today, hear this, because he loves you, he wants to fulfill his dreams for you. And they're amazing. They're incredible, and they'll give you hope. That truth, that promise will give you hope. My life verse is found in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. In fact, it's literally tattooed on my back. And it's a verse that says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Listen to it again, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, speaking prophetically, from Jeremiah to the people of Israel, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Some of the things that I did in my dark days when I wandered from God are too shameful to speak of, but I had given up in that time of any hope for my future. I had it in my head that I was forgiven. I believed that I was, God loved me and that I was gonna get to heaven, but I also had it in my head that I had messed up too bad for God to ever use me again. I literally believed, yes, I know I'm forgiven, yes, I know I'm going to heaven, but I went sideways and there's no getting back. 
There's no way God's ever gonna use me for anything of significance ever again. That's what I believed. And one morning, as I was just reading through the scriptures, reading my devotion, I read this passage, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and it's like God came up behind me and just popped me in the back of the head. I don't know if you like that image of God, but it works for me sometimes. It's like, boop, now. Are you hearing this? Now listen, I, some of my peers, some of people that I love and respect have landed on this passage and have gone on and on and on about how this doesn't apply to us and this is a promise to the Israelites and this is not meant for us and we take that out of context. How stupid. Let me just explain to you something about all of the Bible. The Old Testament, the New Testament was written to other people. It wasn't written to you because you didn't exist. But God knew you, he knew what he was gonna do, and the principles, the truths, the practices, the ways, and the, the, the word of God is alive and active. And God says, yes, that scripture in Jeremiah 20 and 11 was written to the Israelites who were in Babylon, who were in captive, and yes, it was a specific word for them. Yes! But guess what? It's a truth, we step back and we embrace the principle. Do you think God has a plan for your life, yes or no? Yes. Do you think it's for good or evil? Good. Oh, you guys are smart. Is it a plan to give you future and a hope? Absolutely. And by the way, there are dozens and dozens of other scripture verses, the Old and New Testament, that I could go to and say, yep, this is God's plan. But that verse God used, I cannot tell you how it changed everything for me. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be standing here today if I still believed God couldn't use me. I wouldn't be your pastor if I believed that God had written me off. Well, you'll get to heaven, maybe but there's nothing, I've, you screwed the pooch, you messed it up, there's no, no way you're gonna ever get there. I'm sure I would not be here today if I had not come to the point where I believed in this promise. It's a promise for you too. God knows the plans he has for you. They're plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and hope. Believe in his love, sure, absolutely. But hold on to his promise for you because it's good and it's a good plan for your life. Bye, let me pray for you. Father, I know um, sitting in this room right now, watching online right now, there are people who have given up. They've given up maybe on themselves, maybe they've given up on a friend or family member, maybe they've given up on you, God, I don't know. But they would describe them, themselves, their lives right now as hopeless, or some situation they're facing as hopeless. Holy Spirit, I beg you right now, please reach into the very deepest, darkest place of their soul and bring your light, bring revelation, bring truth, bring hope. Breathe on them. Hope, Lord. Hope to believe again in a God whose light is greater than any darkness we get stuck in. Hope to believe in a God who really does stand by his word and, and is gonna completely finish what he started, hope to trust in the, the goodness of a God who has a plan for our lives. God, please, in this moment, right now, I beg you, please reach into that spot of hopelessness in someone's heart and breathe life and hope and encourage them and let them know, Lord, you're never gonna give up. You're never gonna give up on them. Maybe you're here today. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not... You have started your life as a Christ follower. The greatest decision you'll ever make in your life, and that's a bold statement, but I stand by it. The most important and the greatest decision you'll ever make will be to surrender your life 
to him, to embrace the gift of mercy, forgiveness, grace that he offers to you. It's a free gift. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to say, yes, God, I need a savior. I need what Jesus did for me on the cross. Yes, I surrender my life to you. Because that decision changes everything. It changes your destiny, your eternal destiny. It changes your present. It changes you move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You still got stuff. You still have to deal with things. It doesn't fix everything overnight. But now you have the answer in Jesus. You have the hope of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit when you make that choice to say yes to God who will live in you and change you from the inside out. And if you're here today and you're thinking, man, I, I want that. I need that hope. I want that. I need that. I'm desperate for that. Then I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer right now. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is just make this prayer yours. Here it is. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus, on that cross. I need a savior, I need mercy, I need grace. I need light in my darkness, I need hope. I need you. So right here, right now, I say yes, I wanna follow you, Jesus, yes. I surrender my life to you. Yes, I wanna be your child, I wanna be yours forever. Yes, yes, yes. Now, if that's you, it's in your own way, in your own heart, to say, yep, God, that's what I need, it's what I want. And the Bible says the moment we surrender, the moment we say yes, you become his kid, you're his child now. The Holy Spirit is gonna take up residence inside your soul. And you belong to him. And he's never, ever, 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 ever gonna give up on that, give up on you. Lord, seal that, that reality a truth, a freedom, a joy, that hope in our hearts right now. Those that are making that decision online or right here in this room, seal it in their hearts that they belong to you. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you again. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. I know sometimes um, we're tempted to boogie out of here, maybe get the kids out of the vision line quick or whatever. You're going to want to miss this last song. I'll be honest with you. We haven't done this around here at East Point for a while because uh, it kind of got ruined on an internet parody of this Oh Holy Night. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So we haven't done it for a while and James talked me into it and I thought, okay, we'll do it. I was in rehearsal this morning and I heard Tiffany sing it. Now it's become my favorite song of all time. Uh, guys, this song declares what Jesus has done for us. Let's sing it together and I'll come back and wrap it up. Love you guys. And I love what I know God wants to do in and through you, through us. As we get to be lights in the midst of a dark world. As we get to model for people that God's never given up on us and you'll never give up on, on them. As we get to remind them oh, again and again and again that God is true to his word. He's faithful. He's somebody we can trust on and he's got a plan. And we can look somebody in the face and say, God's got a plan for you. Today, if you begin your life as Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody. Tell me, we wanna walk with you in this journey. On the tables, by the doors, plastic bags, got a Bible, some material, you can start walk with Jesus, pick one of those up. If at all possible, go to the First Steps class next week. Both services, coffee chapel, go. And get signed up to get baptized in water. And again, if 
Some of you thinking, well, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, you need to do that. It'd be good. I promise you it'll change your life. You can sign up online or sign up with a tariff tab and put it in the offering box as you leave. Got lots of these available still. They're pocket size, they're easy to give away. And like Jim said, man, be praying. I want to challenge you. Start praying for two people. Two people you work with, two people you go to school with, two people you, you uh, neighbors, two people. Just start there. Two people that you're going to pray for every day between now and Christmas Eve and then ask them. If you invite them, they might come. If you don't, they probably won't. So invite them to come. Invite them to be a part of our services. If you need prayer team, prayer team would be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room. But here's my benediction. Here's my prayer. Here's my hope for you. Go this week. Be the light of Jesus in a very dark world and watch what God does through you. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. See you next week.